one of the most important things that we encounter during travel, whether it be having to utilize it or learning it from an experience that you have, is trust. Who do you trust in this world? Maybe your family, your friends, yourself, but what about someone you've known for a matter of minutes or even seconds? How do you know if the experience before you will lead you down a path of misery and regret or an event that you'll look back on fondly for the rest of your life, feeling glad that you trusted that one person? With music from Cody Crab, writing by Nicole Mello, I'm Hayden Lee. This is Travel Stories Podcast. Today we're joined by Nate Buchanan from the travel vlogging duo Cara and Nate, a husband and wife team looking to travel to 100 countries by 2019. Nate is also an expert in travel hacking. If travel hacking were Street Fighter, he'd be M. Bison. If travel hacking was The Force, he'd be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And with that, you can count me as a young Anakin Skywalker. I probably won't go to the dark side, though. So let's get into it. Nate, how are you going? Doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Whereabouts in the world are you? Uh, my wife and I are currently in Uruguay in a small beach town called La Paloma. La Paloma. Nice. And what takes you there? Because I know that you like to go to certain places for certain reasons. So what takes you there? So Karen and I are currently on a mission to visit 100 countries by 2019. And we are currently in our South American stint. Uh, we started here at the beginning of January and we'll be here through mid-April. And Uruguay is one of those countries. We kind of showed up in Montevideo, which is the capital, not really knowing what we were going to do. A bunch of locals suggested that we head to the beaches in the east. So that's where we found ourselves. Nice. Don't you think that's such a good way to do it? Like, you don't know what's in a certain place. You've never been there before. You just go there, with, maybe even without reading about it. Just go there and go, hey, dude, what's, uh, what's cool around here? <laughs> we really enjoy traveling that way. There's, there's big pros and cons to both. We get kicked out of our Airbnb in two days and have no clue where we're going next. So that adds a little bit of stress to the travel, but we do love just being able to be flexible. If somebody suggests a cool place or a cool experience that we can have, just being able to pop over and take part in it. Mm, that really is the, like you said, the pros and cons of it. It's it's the having that freedom to do whatever you want to do at the time you want to do it. And it's also, yeah, it's <laughs> the con of going, oh no, now what do we do? But I kind of, I don't know, man, I kind of like that stress. Am I just weird? Or do you kind of enjoy that kind of, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, you know? No, it definitely makes it fun and exciting. And I'm an optimist, so I always think things are going to work out for the best. So I almost kind of like the unknown because I think there's a chance that something really good is going to happen. <laughs> so I don't like to lock myself down, you know, because you never know. If you commit to one thing, something better could come up. I think there's pros and cons to, to traveling that way, but um, that's how we tend to travel for the most part. We normally have large large experiences that we kind of plan our travel around. So like we have like some like going to Machu Picchu is booked for the end of April and like going to Patagonia is booked for February, but kind of in between, we just kind of see where it takes us. 
Mm, yeah, we talk about this a lot on this show, the do I plan, do I not plan? And it really seems, I mean, I say with everything, the answer is most of the time in the middle somewhere. It's never really left or right or whatever. So that seems to be the way that works, that works best, right? So it's, you have certain plans that you will stick to, but for the rest of, your uh, rest of the time, you're completely free. That seems to be the best way to do it, I think. Yeah, we've been traveling for a year now, and I'd have to say that's kind of where we've found our rhythm. I think if you're only going to be traveling, you know, if you only have a week or two for a vacation, it's probably better to plan things out so you make sure you use your time most effectively. Uh, but for us, we're traveling for the next two years at least, you know, so if we have a day or two where we don't really end up doing much, that's perfectly fine. Mm, yeah, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. And for you, it seems that that bucket lists are really important to you. And why do you think why do you think that is? I know it's a weird question. I know it's quite a broad question, but yeah, why do you think that is? Why do you think the bucket lists are the thing that's that's kind of taking you to some of the destinations and ticking things off? That what uh, what brings you to that? Uh, for me personally, I just have a very driven personality, and I enjoy checking things off of lists. So much to the point where like a lot of days I'll make it to do list, And if I end up doing something extra, I'll add it to the list and mark it out. <laughs> uh, and so like, I, I like having a sense of accomplishment and then the bucket list is just like the most fun version of a to-do list. And I found that if something gets added to the bucket list, you're a lot more likely to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that old thing. What gets measured gets managed. It's what get what gets written down on the bucket list gets done, I suppose. <laughs> so if someone's if someone's like listening to this right now and they're thinking, man, I need to write out my bucket list, you know, what would you what would you recommend as to, you know, how many things do you group things into categories or anything like that? I know it seems like a stream of consciousness thing, but I'm definitely a category and file organization type of guy. And you seem so too, contrary to obviously my other and your other personality traits of not planning and everything like that. So what would you suggest if someone's just starting out thinking, man, I've got to write myself a bucket list? So I think go through, I don't think you should limit yourself on things that you want to do when you're first putting it together. But I think after you get it put together, you should definitely go through and prioritize what you want to do most. And then whatever ends up at the top of the list, actually make a plan to start accomplishing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of, it is that categorization type of thing, isn't it? It's putting it all out there. It's kind of like, what do they say? In fact, this might work really well for, tra for travel uh, bucket lists. They say, write drunk, edit sober. I reckon that'd work <laughs> bucket lists, man. Yeah, who knows what's going to end up on there. But like, yeah, you definitely have the time to, uh, to mark it off if it doesn't make sense later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you have a list actually written down and saved somewhere? Do you have a physical, physical list or is it all kind of in your head? So I did have a physical list before we started traveling full time at the beginning of 2016. I had one um, up on my personal website and we've checked a lot of things off the list, but at the same time, we've found ourselves in so many situations where we're having these amazing experiences that I didn't even know about when I first wrote the list that I've, I don't want to say I've given up on the bucket list completely, but like, we're just kind of taking experiences as they come now because we're running into so many new opportunities as we're quickly moving around the globe. I mean, last year alone, we visited 30 countries and had like so many mind blowing experiences 
like probably more than I thought I ever would in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, it's. I suppose when you're when you're writing out the bucket list and you haven't you haven't gone to a certain place or something, then your knowledge of what can potentially be on that list is is limited to what you know about what is out there. So, like, so when you go somewhere, you go, "Oh no, there's so much more that we could have put on." That's really interesting, man. I never even thought about that. That is, there, there's so much truth to that. So I think one of the most interesting things that I've, I guess you could say, learned while I've traveled is I assume that the world would become a smaller place as we visited a lot of different countries. But in my mind, it's become a much bigger place because every country that you show up to, you go in having an idea of what the country's like, what the experiences are that you want to have. And then you get there and you learn about 10 other things, 10 other cities that you needed to go visit. So for us traveling to 45 countries at this point, the world's actually become a larger place as opposed to a smaller one, like most people say. Ah, that's super interesting. So it's kind of, I guess, I guess when you think about it, when you think of the world, you haven't been to all the places. So the world is just in your mind. So I guess when you, I'm getting deep here, but I guess guess when you go to these places, it populates that area in your mind and you realize that, you know, for example, I don't know, Mexico isn't just this one little piece of land and you can see the shape of it. It isn't just that. Now it's all these different cities, all these different villages, all these different places. And it makes it kind of, I guess, more detailed in your mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that was a fantastic way to word it. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. I've had some coffee, so my thoughts are kind of, (laughs) it's working, it's working. (laughs) Cool. So you guys, you guys are vloggers, right? So when did you start that, man? So we left to start traveling full time on January 10th of 2016. And before we left, my wife was a wedding videographer part time. So she kind of had like the video editing skills needed to put a vlog together. But, and I guess for those people who aren't familiar with vlog and think I'm just mispronouncing vlog, uh, vlog (laughs) is a, a, basically a video blog. So it's kind of like a daily diary of what we do every day as we're traveling around the world. But we, we followed a couple other vloggers before we left. We thought it would be, a cool way to capture our trip. We didn't want to start another 20 something traveling the world blog because we thought there were plenty of those on the internet already. Mm. Uh, But honestly, we had no intentions of doing daily videos. That just seemed like way too much work going into it. When we first started, we were just going to travel for a year. We saved up enough money. We were going to go travel for a year. That was going to be our year going around the world. And then we were going to come back and settle down into normal lives. And we didn't want having to put together videos every day to like take away from that experience. But the first day we traveled, we put together a video, posted it online and got like tons of good feedback from friends and family that we weren't really expecting to the point where we were motivated to do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And then we looked up like two weeks to a month later, and we had published a video every single day. We were enjoying the challenge of going out and like capturing the best moments of our day, putting the video together at night, and then sharing it with the world. And so I guess a month into the trip, we decided we're going to do this travel vlogging thing and just kind of went, went for it from there. 
That's so cool. I love that you didn't intend to do daily. And then the kind of, it just kind of went into that. That's awesome, man. I love that. Due to the, you know, due to the feedback of other people and due to you enjoying what you do. I love that it was born out of that instead of born out of like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do a daily vlog and I'm going to do this. and I'm going to make sure I do that. And it becomes work. I love, I love the way round that that is. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's awesome, man. The cool thing is, you know, a lot of people ask us the, you know, the question in some words or another, you know, basically what does video and your entire trip take away from the experience? And for us, the majority of the days, it actually heightens the experience for us. Like I, like I said before, I'm very driven, very motivated. I like to have a goal. And so to be able to go out with the goal of like making a really good video every day, keeps it fun and keeps it exciting for us. Whereas if we weren't blogging or just like had some type of work to do, I think at the end of the year, we probably would have ended up coming back home and settling down and I would have been ready to get back into work. But the, the vlog given me my entrepreneurial fix. Yes, man. And that's something I was going to ask as well. It was like, what the, what the best thing or your favorite thing about it is, because you've got many, many pros to this. Like you say, some people will say, what does it take away from your, from your travels? Why aren't you out there living instead of, instead of videoing it or whatever people say. And I was thinking, I mean, you got the fact that you're, like you say, you're conscious of what you're planning to do and you go, today we will go and we will go and do this. And you, you get it done because, you know, you, you, kind of have more of a reason to do it in a way it's hard to put into words but it it kind of in a way forces you to go out of your comfort zone and do other things that maybe you wouldn't have done i don't know it's really hard to put into words i was gonna say you're, you're so right there are so many days where since we've been on the road for so long we get to a new place like we just want to relax for a little while we want to sit behind our computers and knock some work out but we know that if we do that today's vlog is going to be really terrible. So it motivates us to get out and go do something to make good content for the vlog. And every time without fail, we're always so glad that we made ourselves get out and have a new experience. You know, whether it was motivated by the vlog in the first place or not, it turned out to be this great experience that we have to take with us for the rest of our lives. Man, that's so cool. It's kind of like an accountability thing. I think that's what I was going for before. It's like an accountability thing. Like you say to your friend, Hey man, we're going to both go to the gym together. You know, and if you go, if you wake up one day and go, man, I don't feel like the gym, you know, that guy's going to call you and go, dude, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's having that, uh, that what's the word that consequence of not, of not doing it. Even if it's just not getting a video up or not getting a, a, you know, a video that you enjoy up and, and I mean, going back to what I was saying before, there's, there's so many, so many pros that I can see of it for, for, I mean, for example, the, you have a documentation, you have video documents of your life you know, for that last, for the last however long, that last year, you have video documentation of that. And when you look back, when you're, when you're 60, when you're 70, when you're 90, you can watch yourself doing these things that you knew that you always wanted to do. And you can be proud that you did that. How cool is that, man? Yeah, I left, I left that part out in the beginning of starting the vlog. And that was one of our major motivations at the beginning is that like, we knew we'd never regret by capturing these memories and having them to look back on. Mm, yeah, definitely. Like, I love that 
that kind of documentation of your life because I'm a sucker for nostalgia, man. I mean, <laughs> for me, I will for, I mean, I often, I think I'm the only person in the world that goes on MySpace now. And the only reason I go on MySpace is to look at my old bands and listen to my old band's music. <laughs> I love a bit of nostalgia, you know? So <laughs> I'd imagine having those videos that you can look back on. You can go, man, I remember that day. And you, uh, it's weird because you, you w- must watch the videos differently to how other people see the videos because you know what else went on in that day. Does that make sense? Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the videos are usually on average 10 minutes long and, you know, and watching a 10 minute long video, you're just kind of getting like the highlights of our life. But when I watch the video, I can remember, you know, kind of what went on between each shot. And then, you know, there's also some stuff that we, we try to keep our videos decently short. And there's some stuff that just doesn't make the cut because we don't think it's interesting enough to share with other people. But for us, it's a memory. And so watching the videos brings all of that back. Man, that's awesome. It seems like such a great idea. And actually, we need to we need to chat after this because I'm thinking about I'm going to Europe in uh in June and I'm going for however long it takes. I'm taking a motorbike around every, every country. And so I'm thinking awesome. about, yeah, so I'm thinking about vlogging that as well. Just, uh, again, for all these reasons that, we, that we've been talking about for the documentation and, you know, for the fact that it will, it will force me to go and do these extra things. Like there's a mountain over there. Should I go do it? Yes, I should. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to talk after this, man. We need to talk. Happy, happy to help in any way that I can. <laughs> Love it. Well, do you have a story for us today? I do. Awesome. Awesome. Whereabouts in the world does this story take place, man? The story takes place in the Philippines. Wicked. One of my favorite places in the world, man. I love it. And if you could give the story a name, what would you call it? One of your past guests called his story the ham sandwich. <laughs> and I really liked the simplicity of the title. So I think yeah. I'll call the story The Cave. The Cave, man, that's awesome. It sounds like a film. Oh, I love it. That film would definitely start. I'm thinking Leonardo DiCaprio only because he was in what was it, The Beach or something? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. We'll go with Leonardo DiCaprio. Cool. <laughs> right then, you're listening to the Travel Stories podcast. And this is Nate Buchanan with The Cave. So this story starts in the Philippines. It was our second week of full-time travel. We had just hit the road. We were brand new to this. And we found ourselves on the small island of Chargao in the Philippines. So we found ourselves sitting there at our hotel, a little bored. When we talked to somebody who told us about these beautiful rock pools on the other side of the island. It was supposed to be about an hour drive. And everybody in Southeast Asia, especially the Philippines, gets around on motorbikes. Neither one of us had ever driven a motorbike before. But we decided this is a small, sleepy island. There's not a lot of cars. This will be a good time to learn. We rented a motorbike from a guy who basically handed us the keys and pointed us in the direction of the motorbike. Like I said, neither one of us have ever ridden one of these before. So we found ourselves there trying to figure out how to start this bike we had just rented. 
when a lady from across the street who didn't speak any English came over, started the bike for us, shook her head, and then walked away. So we're left there with a bike that's running that we still really don't know how to operate to the point where when I first started it, I was about two inches away from taking out the fence that lined the hotel property that we were staying at. Thankfully, that didn't happen, and I quickly learned how to drive the bike. It did end up taking us about two hours to get across the island because I was driving really slow, because every time I'd start to speed up, Kara would be on the back of the bike squeezing me as tight as she could. So we made it to the rock pools and enjoyed a few wonderful hours, uh, just enjoying swimming in the water, taking in the beauty, jumping off some cliffs. All in all, a fantastic day. And we were on our way home when on the side of the road, we spotted a sign that said, cave pool. Written in English, so we thought, sounds like a neat adventure. And as we were talking about before, a lot of times, knowing that we need to make good content for the vlog will motivate us to try new things that we otherwise would not. And this was probably one of those things. So we pull into the makeshift parking lot and we go up to the little wooden hut that has a lady in it who's taking money to go in to the cave pool. And she tells us it'll be $1 if we want to swim in the pool and it'll be an extra $2 if we want to go in the cave. We figured we're all the way out here. Of course, we're going to go into the cave. So we pay her the $2, we walk down and we're expecting to see a lot of tourists at this cave pool. And it ends up being like three local guys and a few local kids and just us. So we're carrying flashlights in our hand that the lady at the check-in place has given us. And they see the flashlights and they're like, oh, do you want to go inside the cave? So we tell them yes. And they instruct us to leave our bag and keep in mind this bag has all of our valuable vlogging equipment in it, to leave our bag with the kids. And then there's a cliff that's probably about 15 feet high and we have to jump into this pool of murky water that we can't see to the bottom of. And then they'll take us into the cave. So we just basically put our total trust and faith in these two guys that we just met that smelled a little bit like alcohol and cigarettes. Uh, but we decided we were in it for the experience, so we jump in the water. And they start to take us back into the cave. At this point, I still think we're probably just going a few steps into the cave and we're gonna like shine our flashlights around and see it. But when we get to the entrance of the cave, they take our flashlights and start leading us further into the cave. The next thing I know, we are 10 minutes back into this dark cave. We've been wading in water that's up to our chest. We've had to swim through spots. And these guys who are supposed to be leading us with the flashlights have kind of gone ahead. So we're basically feeling our way around in this dark cave. And at this point, panic starts to set in. 
Kara thinks that they're going to kidnap us and they're going to take us out of uh, some other entrance of this cave where a car is going to take us and we're never going to be seen again by the rest of the world. I figure at best this is a great way to steal all of the stuff that the tourists bought. So I figure when we come out of the cave, our bag with all of our valuable vlogging equipment is going to be gone. So finally, after probably 20 minutes of being in this dark cave, I see a little bit of light. And at that point, the guys are trying to take us deeper into the cave. And I'm just pointing to the light, trying to communicate that I'm ready to get out of this cave. So finally, I'm able to communicate that to them. And then they take us to the light and we emerge into this swampy pond that looks like it should be infested with alligators. So part of me is scared that I'm going to get eaten by an alligator. And then part of me is just so grateful to be out of this cave. And it turns out we had gone underneath the road. This cave had taken us underneath the road and we had come out in a lake on the other side. So we probably have a five to 10 minute walk back to where we started. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, we're going to get there. Our bag's going to be gone. Hopefully our motorbike is still there. I just want to get home. And we show up, not only is our bag there, but there's also 10 to 15 kids. The number of kids have doubled where it got out that there were two tourists who spoke English and all the kids were there wanting to practice their English with us. It was just such a cool experience to have at the very beginning of our travels because it taught us not to assume the worst of people. Not only did nobody steal our stuff, we realized that these guys really just wanted to show us this beautiful cave that was on their land and just wanted us to have the best experience possible. And to add to that, the lady at the check-in hut, when I'd gone to pay her, I'd actually accidentally given her what I thought was two Filipino dollars, but it was really 20 Filipino dollars. I would have been none the wiser had she just taken my money, um, but she was honest, you know, told me that I paid her too much money and gave it back. So while we were in the cave, assuming the worst of everybody, they actually just showed us nothing but sincere hospitality. That was Nate Buchanan with The Cave. Nate, thank you so much for that story. I loved it. There's so many things that came up in that that always come up in in the show. And there's so many things that, that, that seem to people seem to talk about. People seem to always realize when they go through these, you know, miraculous things, they go through these strange experiences. Man, there's so much I want to dive into. But first, I loved the motorbike section, the, the, when you were talking about the motorbikes and you never been on, on one, like I grew up with motorbikes. My dad's a biker and something people need to know specifically about Asia is what you said in the story, man, it's all motorbikes. <laughs> you know? 
Like the, there were just no cars. Yeah, we found ourselves on motorbikes more times than I was comfortable throughout our three to four months in Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It is a lot, man. Like I think I was in, I think it was in Hanoi or something, and we saw this. I think it might have been a Bentley that was just rolling through town. It, like they were going maybe five miles an hour, and that was that was all they could go because there was too many bikes, there were too many people. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're in the wrong place, man. Get yourself a bike. <laughs> you know. I think Hanoi is the place where we saw the highest density of motorbikes without a doubt. There was no way I was getting on the road with that many other motorbikes. Oh man, I uh, I took a motorbike down from uh, the Mekong Delta up through Saigon and then all the way up through the through the country into Hanoi. And, uh, that's amazing it is ridiculous like i was reading before i did it i was reading these forums and, and stuff because this was like i was in, the, in indonesia and this is the thing we were going back to before about about having the freedom to to do something on the spur of the moment this guy i was uh, i was hanging with he was like man you should uh you should buy a bike and you know go to vietnam and i was like yeah all right, all right. and then three days later that's what i was doing so <laughs> <laughs> and that's the same thing but like in fact can i uh can i tell you a little story I know it's the stories are meant for the guests, but this is a uh, fun slash incriminating. So would you like to hear it? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, uh, I, <laughs> I rode motorbikes, right. And uh, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm taking a, I'm taking a Harley around, uh, around Europe. Right. And so I never actually got my motorbike license. Right. So this is, but I, but I have my motorbike license. I've never taken the test. Right. So, <laughs> so this is the thing. So I was in Australia, I was in Melbourne and I was living there for a while. And so I went to Vic Roads, which is like the, uh, what do you, the DMV in Australia, in, in, yes, the Australian DMV. And, uh, and I was like, I need to change my English license for a Victorian license. They said, okay, cool. She looked on the back and she said, what's this date next to this picture of this motorbike? I said, I don't know. It's, it's not a license. I, maybe it's when I can take the test. I, I have no idea. She goes, it looks like a motorbike license. I said, it's not. And she goes, do you want one? <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> Okay. And so she put one on and I was like, wicked. Thanks for that. Awesome. And then I came back to England and I was like, man, I need to, this is to the uh, DVLA, which is the English DMV. And I said, I didn't call him man, but I said, man, <laughs> I need to change my Victorian license back to an English license. So I sent it off to them. It came back full motorbike license on it. So I've never taken a test, but I've still got the full motorbike license. That's my incriminating story. <laughs> very impressive i'd say few people can say they've gotten their motorbike license that way <laughs> i think man traveling vietnam on a motorbike that is test enough man <laughs> oh i would trust you to drive me anywhere if you can make it to vietnam <laughs> <laughs> love it man i was reading in the forums that people were like yeah so a couple of things to bring are a backpack a tent and a body bag <laughs> god damn <laughs> you know? but anyway I digress. <laughs> Going back to your story, man. I love that. And this is the thing that comes up a lot in the show. I love that you trusted the blokes at the start of the cave and you weren't sure whether to trust him. That's always the first thing that happens. Should I trust this bloke? He smells like alcohol. He's a bit weird. Should I trust him? But I love that you did. And most of the time, I'd say 90 plus percent of the time, obviously, what, what am I going on, on on that statistic? But I'd say 90 plus percent of the time, it works out all right. So what are your thoughts on, on trusting strangers? So I think, you know, that story definitely taught us to not automatically assume the worst of anybody that you're approached by. 
but after traveling for a year, there's definitely times when we turn people down or try to distance ourselves from certain people. And it's usually just kind of based off a gut feeling at this point, (laughs) you know, you, you, you can't be completely closed off or you'll miss amazing experiences. But at the same time, there are bad people in this world and we've met plenty of travelers who have encountered those people. So just hearing stories from others does make us a little more hesitant. Uh, So you really just kind of have to find the balance. And we've kind of found that just kind of go with our gut in those situations. And after 30 countries and being on the road for a year, we have no horror stories to tell of at this point, thankfully. Mm, yeah, man, it's it's really one of those weird things where the there is really no definitive answer on how much do you trust other people? Like, what do you trust eight out of 10 people? Like, how do you measure that? So the thing that it comes down to exactly like you say, this is the thing that comes up all the time. This is the thing that I think people when they travel, they come to this realization, they come to this only answer that you have to trust your gut. That is really what people always say. And that is, I reckon that's probably the way to go, man, because how else can you know? What do you do? Not trust anyone or trust everyone? Again, the answer is probably in the middle. Trust your gut, man. That's, that's a perfect answer, man. That's a perfect answer. Yeah. And had I, had I been thinking through, you know, whether or not I wanted to trust the two guys that smelled like alcohol and cigarettes that were going to take me into this dark cave, if you would have asked me, do you want to go into this dark cave with these people? I would have told you no. But it was just like a small series of events that kind of led up to it. And the next thing I knew, I was 15 minutes back into this cave with these people. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. It just kind of happens around you. I guess no red flags went up. Yes, until I was chest deep in water in the middle of a cave. <laughs> yeah, it's always right in that middle bit that you go, hold on, should I have trusted this bloke? <laughs> you know, it's always in the best <laughs> tense. Man, the same, the same I'm, I know I'm doing a lot of my stories, but like I said, I had coffee. This is what happens. <laughs> so I was, in, uh, I was in Saigon, actually. This is like a day before I got my... No, this is like two or three days. I'd just arrived in Vietnam. So uh, that was it. Yeah. So I was heading, the listeners have heard this story many times. So I was heading to, I was trying to find a hostel or somewhere to stay, you know, and this guy pulls up next to me. He's, he's quite old and he has eight fingers and he goes, he can't really talk English well, but he's like, dude, come on my bike. Come on. And I'm like, what? And he hands me this book and everything I read in there says, go with this man, trust this man with your life. You're standing in front of this man right now. I know what you're feeling, but go with this man. And I was like, all right. And so (laughs) hopped on the back of his bike and uh, about two hours later, you know, well, after, after riding for about two hours, that's when I had that thought, (laughs) you know, of, ah, should I, should I have? (laughs) So it's always afterwards, Ben. It's always afterwards. So it's either too late or you're fine and just carry on. Just carry on. You've left me hanging on the end of the story. I assume it worked out well. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was terrible. No, it was awesome. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he took me to his place down in the Mekong Delta and... Um, and he had this little uh, kind of hut made out of coconut trees, I think it was. And uh, and I stayed there and he showed me all around the Mekong Delta. We went around all the different islands and we kind of, we hung out and he showed me the way he lives. And uh, he didn't want any money for it. He didn't want anything. He just wanted to show people around, you know, just to show me around. He invited me into, you know, I was hung out with his family and 
man, it was an awesome experience and awesome. I bought my bike down there, actually. It was an awesome experience. And that's, again, that came out of trusting. I trusted my gut and, of course, a book full of hundreds of people saying to do so. But yeah, it's the <laughs> gut thing, man. It's the gut thing. So I want to talk about travel hacking, man. You mentioned it before. You mentioned it before. And it's something that, I mean, I've traveled quite a bit, but it's something that I've never looked into myself. Maybe I have. I don't even know what it means. So maybe I do these things anyway. But say someone travels already, like myself, or they want to take their first trip. They're a beginner traveler. Where can they start with travel hacking? What does it mean? And what would be the first thing that they can hack, if you will? So in my mind, the way I define it is strategically earning and redeeming miles and points. So from, for me, as an American who is blessed with credit card companies that offer extremely generous sign-up bonuses, before Karen and I left, we were able to earn 1.8 million miles and points uh, in order to help make this trip that we're taking affordable for ourselves. That sounds like a lot. Is that, how much is that if like, what, like what would that get you or buy you? I don't know how it works. So a good example would be like, if you wanted to fly on American from the U S to Europe, it would cost 30,000 points one way. Wow. Okay. So you got 1.8 million, was it? Yes. Wow. So yeah, we, We've used miles and points to fly. Like basically all of our long haul flights have been almost completely free because of these frequent flyer miles that we saved up before we left. Man, that's ridiculous. That's awesome. Like a lot of the questions we get are, how do you afford this? How can you afford this? I'm sure you've heard it before many times. How can you afford doing what you do? This is, this is a big thing, man. For sure. Cause you know, we, we would have been forced to travel slower last year had we not have had our frequent flyer miles. But because we did, we were able to travel to 30 different countries in one year. And those 30 different countries were across four different continents. Mm. So it was really, it was really cool to be able to see a lot of different parts of the world in such a short amount of time. No way. So to break it down a bit, I never usually do, like we never usually have actionable content and stuff like that, but to, to break it down a bit, to get, to get 1.8 million or even to get a million or even to get a hundred thousand, what type of, what type of activities would you have to do? What, like how many credit cards do you have like a, a box full of credit cards or how does that work? Yes. Is the answer to that question. I'll give you the, the three major ways that I earned the points before we left. Great, great. Stuff. So it's it's my wife and I. So together over the two to three years leading up for the trip, we applied for and got over 24 different credit cards. And with those credit cards, you're looking at a sign-up bonus, usually of somewhere between like 50 and 100,000 points. So that's where a lot of our points came from. So hold on. So so one would be if one was fifty thousand points, then that was what did you say thirty thousand was again? A long haul flight from U.S. to to where did you say? To Europe or to South America? Wow. So with signing up for one credit card, you can fly from the U.S. to Europe one way just for signing up for one credit card. That's correct. That's insane. <laughs> normally, normally there's like a minimum spend that you have to meet. So normally the credit card company requires that you spend, let's say at least $3,000 on the card in the first 90 days before they give you the points. Yeah. But as long as you're strategic about doing that, yeah, it's pretty much that easy. There's an art to it. There's a certain 
uh, order that you need to sign up for cards in order to maximize your points. Cause there's certain cards that you can never get the sign up bonus again. And there's certain banks that won't give you credit cards if you've signed up for a lot in the past. And so you kind of have to like know the strategy, but it is possible to get a lot of credit cards, earn a lot of frequent flyer miles. And the biggest question everybody asks is what's going to happen to my credit score. And I've published my credit score on my website because so many people ask, and my credit score has actually gone up after applying for all of these cards. Man, it's win, win, win. That's awesome. So for, for these things, so you say, I'm so interested. So, so you say that there's special ways, special orders in which to get them. And there's all this extra information that helps you get the, get the maximum benefit out of this hacking and the, and the frequent flyers. So as I understand it, you, uh, you are obviously you're fairly knowledgeable about all this stuff. Do you, do you have a place where you help people out or anything about, about travel hacking? So I'm currently in the process of creating a course that's called 30 days to becoming a travel hacker. And I'm basically attempting to distill all of my travel hacking knowledge that I've learned over the past four years into a 30 day actionable, easy to understand course that people can go through and come out at the end of a month, uh, knowing pretty much exactly what I do and being able to earn as many miles and points as they want. Perfect. Perfect. So as soon as you're done with that and it's ready to go, you need to get back in touch, man. Cause number one, I want to take this course. <laughs> and, uh, and number two, man, this is, uh, I really want to show everyone this course. I know it's going to be good cause you know what you're talking about, you know? So I want to show people this course. So as soon as you have it available, I want to know, and we'll mention it to all of our listeners, man. That's awesome. That would, that would be amazing. So here's probably my last question. What are mistake fares because i've seen it i've seen it written on your site and I've, i think i've seen it elsewhere as well and i always go man i should look into that and i never do so what are mistake fares so mistake fares are kind of hard to explain because they're they're just that they're a mistake so i guess like the reasoning behind it is hard to explain but essentially it's an airline mispricing a plane ticket so they happen for different reasons uh, some is like somebody's manually entered the price or maybe like an online travel agency somehow isn't talking to the airline website correctly. And there's a glitch and it's making a price or the price of a flight extremely cheap for a very short amount of time. Obviously the airlines want to jump on top of it as soon as possible, you know, so they're not giving away a bunch of free tickets. Uh, but if you're strategic and know where to look, you can keep up with these things when they happen. And if you jump on it really quick, a lot of them only last two to 12 hours, then you can get a really crazy deal to fly almost anywhere in the world. It, the, the mistake fares totally depend. A lot of them are from like one destination to another. Uh, but for example, Karen and I flew to Europe and Thailand for $250 with the mistake fare that we found. We flew to from the US to South Africa for $300. And probably the most exciting is I flew business class from Sao Paulo, Brazil to Hong Kong round trip for $700. <laughs> no, never. That did not happen. Don't come on this show and tell lies. That's not. <laughs> no way. The cool thing about that trip is because it was business class, when I saw the mistake fare, 
I was like, this might be a really good opportunity for me to earn status with American Airlines. Because at that point, Kara and I were planning to travel for a year. And I thought it'd be good to have, you know, airline status. And I started doing the math on how many points I would earn flying business class on this route. Because Sao Paulo to DFW or Dallas in the U.S. is like a nine-ish hour flight. And the flight from Dallas to Hong Kong is one of the longest commercial flights in the world at 16 hours. So we were flying a lot of miles. And because of the different multipliers that the airlines give you for flying business class, I was able to fly that flight three times in a row and get 300,000 American airline miles and top tier status on American airline. (laughs) Man. That's insane. That's like, that's US to Europe 10 times. <laughs> it, it took me 14 days to fly it three times. And that's with no overnight layovers. I literally slept, I was gone for 15 days and I slept in the air 14 out of the 15 days that I was gone. <laughs> Man, you're, you're an evil genius. <laughs> it was, it was insane. I'd do it again in a heartbeat though. <laughs> Man, that's intense. That is intense. You just filled my brain, man. There is no more room for words. I'm going to have trouble ending this episode. Man, that was great. So are these mistake fairs and all this info, is that, are you going to include that in your travel hacking course? So I actually wrote an ebook. It's called the Mistake Fair Manual, and it's basically the ultimate guide to finding and booking mistake fairs. So in the book, I go through uh, how to stay on top of the mistake fairs when they happen. And then, like I said, a lot of times you have a very, very short window to book it. And I kind of go through the strategy and like the mental state that you need to be in in order to like jump on something and book it immediately without having to think too much. Man, that's perfect. Where can people find that? So the mistake fair manual can be found on our website, which is caraandnate.com. There's a link to it there. And then also when you buy the mistake fare manual, you also get access to my flight deal notifications for a dollar for six months, um, essentially nothing. But, and what those flight deal notifications do is they send you the best flights from around the internet as they're published. Perfect. So you can jump on and take advantage of things really quickly. No way. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. I, as soon as this interview is over, I mean, it's getting pretty late at night here, but the first thing I'm going to do is head on there and find out what's going on. This is all new info for me, believe it or not. And like, <laughs> this is great, man. This is going to be my new obsession, you know? <laughs> uh, hey, it, it is definitely a hobby and you can dive deep, deep down the rabbit hole. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Wicked. So if people want to find you and if people want to watch your videos, where can they find you? So our YouTube channel is just called Kara and Nate, K-A-R-A and N-A-T-E. So if you Google Kara and Nate, we should be the first thing that pops up. But if we don't, if you Google Kara and Nate, YouTube will definitely pop up. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, man, I could speak to you for a whole lot longer, but you know, we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> this has been great, dude. Thanks so much for it's coming on. It's been a lot on, of man. fun. I <laughs> yeah, appreciate man. you having me.
No worries at all, man. No worries at all. You're welcome back anytime. And be sure to let us know when this travel hacking course is done. And uh, yeah, we can get that out to people because I'm sure people want to read that stuff. I know I do. More than happy to do it. <laughs> awesome. Wicked talking to you, man. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Stories Podcast. Every day I get more and more grateful for you guys, our listeners, and it really means a lot that you tune in each week. Let us know if you enjoyed this episode on TravelStoriesPodcast.com or by subscribing in iTunes. We'd love to have you over at our Facebook page. Just search Travel Stories Podcast and come and get involved. The team's always there to chat about travel, podcasts, composition, writing, or anything else at all. You can also drop us a line at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. We do answer everything. On behalf of myself and the team, thanks again for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it and would love for you to join us next week for another episode of the Travel Stories Podcast.